I'll try not to be so critical because I'm sure there's going to be people listening. They're like, oh, I love that plant. And mine does great, but. I won't. Too bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so do you want to start? Do you want me to start? Um, yeah, we should just pay someone to start this for us. Do you think we could get Morgan Freeman to do our intro? Yeah, I brought him. He's right here. <laughs> I'm Morgan Freeman. Hi there. Hello. Uh, my name is Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Today on the Take It or Leave It podcast. I formerly starred in uh, Wanted, and I've narrated uh, um, many, yeah, pretty much everything. You have like a Morgan Freeman, Matthew McConaughey thing going on. Yeah. It's an interesting, interesting blend. Am I blending them too much? Yeah. okay. I'm Morgan Freeman, and all right, all right, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah, so, hey, um... Salsa Sally's. Okay. Um, yeah. Is that, that okay? Yeah, we can roll with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, corn chip Conrad's. They get worse. Getting better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. getting better. Yeah, better. Okay. And, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blue no. corn bodies. No, keep going. Okay. <laughs> um, agriculture Andes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're going to love this. All right. All right. Cool. All right, so how's it going, Take It or Leaf listeners? I almost said Take It or Leafers, but I know you're getting pretty tired of that one. <laughs> yeah, so we need to shake that one up. I, I saw your eyes dilate <laughs> as soon as you thought I was going to say it. Okay, this is the Take It or Leaf It podcast, and I am Ethan Wise. And I'm Nick Farrington. And today, the kind of follow suits with another episode that we have done, whether we decide to release the houseplant episode before or after probably before okay so we we have a kind of a little bit of a theme going here and we are doing our top six bottom six our most favorite perennials yep and our least favorite perennials and so just to kind of and to clarify these are going to be perennials in the midwest yeah, kind of zone four, five, six, hardy to the most part. On average, yeah. yeah. So yeah, we're kind of that average zone four through zone six, although some of these can be hardy up to zone three. Some mm-hmm. of them could be hardy all the way down to zone eight. Sure. But if you're a listener in Georgia, you will probably have a whole slew of other things that would be classified as perennials for you. Right. That would be annuals for us. Sure. So just keeping in mind that we are coming out of the St. Louis mid central illinois area and that is where our list is coming from and also keeping in mind that it was very difficult for us to narrow down to just three each for top and bottom choices for perennials if you ask me a week from now or tomorrow (laughs) you uh, might have a different list yeah yeah i mean you could ask me to do like top 50 bottom 50 i could probably narrow it down pretty well but uh yeah. Yeah. As of today. And so like I think if I was at a garden center working and someone asked me, these would be things that maybe today I would take them to talk to them about. Yeah. And stuff that's reliably hardy and does well through winter or the opposite for our bottom list. Yeah, exactly. Right. So do you want to kick it off with your favorites? Yeah. And I'll let's follow do it. and I'll follow you. Yeah. Okay. So my first top pick here for perennials 
is a coneflower, and that is specifically the powwow wild berry coneflower. And is that a PW proven winners introduction? I'm pretty sure that the powwow is. And there's a series. Uh, I know there's a white. Yeah, there's several different that are in the powwow. So quick Google search. Powwow coneflower. Well, it certainly can't be PW because it's listed on Monrovia, hmm. but I don't remember it being a Monrovia species. Interesting. Maybe it's just now its own. Available to other growers. Maybe it's getting licensed out or something like that. Yeah. Oh, ball. Ball horticultural. Oh, ball. Okay. Yeah. And Ball is the world's largest, at least to my knowledge, the world's largest broker, breeder for seeds and cuttings and all sorts of things, horticulture related, plant related. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're pretty expansive. So yes. yeah, that was Huge. cool. Yeah. So yeah, Pow Wow is owned by Ball Horticulture. Interesting. So this one is specifically the Pow Wow Wild Berry Coneflower, and that is sort of a... Kind of a hot pink, purpley kind of, yeah, coneflower. It stays much more compact, under two feet. Than the native echinacea purpurea. Yes, yeah, than the regular echinacea. It is a cultivar of the purpurea, the native native, traditional native coneflower. So it does have a much more reliable hardiness, especially through winter. I know, and we'll get into later on on your list some issues other types with of other types of coneflowers. Yeah, don't like. But this one, generally, we see either from that straight species or cultivars of the native purple or purpurea echinacea, much more reliable in the landscape. I think also as far as cultivars of the native, I think the powwow series has still a pretty decent nectar source Mm -hmm. um, and also a seed source for birds as well. If that was something you were interested in, there are some hybrids and cultivars out there that are great to look at, not the greatest for insects and bees but i think the powwow is definitely yeah as a far great as, one for as far insects as a, and bees a pollinator still. plant yes yeah, definitely and i've definitely seen firsthand evidence of that i use them at uh plantings for clients all the time okay and there's yeah. other colors too uh, true true of i know the pow-wow there's a series. white that i see a lot yeah yellow mm, i don't think there's a yellow okay not to my not not that i've seen around i tend to okay. see other hybrid coneflowers in yellow and from some recent experience with that they tend to be much less hardy okay so with these yeah just a very nice reliable compact shape a very heavy prolific bloomer and it's just nice to have a coneflower that you know the flowers aren't way up above the body of the plant on longer stalks just a nice little compact coneflower plant that's good for smaller spaces or more in the front of the landscape sunny Uh, areas too yes definitely a full sun kind of plant Great color, little, again, since it's more on that pink end of purple, just a little different interest-wise than the standard purple coneflower. Yeah. My next one is the Baby Joe or the Dwarf Pieweed or Eupatorium, which is, a again, a cultivar of a different native. The full-size one we actually just saw the other day. We were out at uh, Missouri Botanical Garden doing some photos and videos for the show. Yeah. We have a picture of me under the plant, and it's fully over top of me, like an umbrella almost draping over top of me. Just almost too much plant. Yes, yes. For But it was also at the same time, like, fascinating for a true perennial. 
mm-hmm. given that it dies back to the ground every year. And then every year it can get back up to six, eight, nine feet tall. Yeah. It's bonkers. And so the baby Joe, this mm-hmm. particular cultivar, stays really in like the two to three feet tall and wide kind mm-hmm. of range. Again, more tight and compact than you would see in the native. <laughs> if you periodically hear a that is because my dog is passed out and dreaming and he is precious right now and is having a cute little dream. <laughs> so, and we're not going to wake him up to to move him out of the room unless nope. he starts barking violently. <laughs> right. But right now it's cute and precious. So we're distracted by my dreaming dog who is sitting next to us as we do our recording in our little studio here. Right. <laughs> so sort of like that coneflower, my favorite part of these is it's just a much more compact, more predictable plant shape than what you would get with the native. Um, Obviously, the application is totally different in a six, seven, eight foot tall perennial versus these little compact ones. In a wet area, primarily, or great in areas that have more soil moisture retention. The native tends to be kind of like an understory sun to part shade dappled. I've seen them a lot out kayaking and that Long kind of creek thing. beds, right? Yes, yes. But this one, usually if it's going to be a drier area, I probably would only use that one in a spot that I know it's going to be on irrigation. So the water isn't really a factor there. Mm-hmm. But yes, if you have a lower lying or moist, more moist area, it'd be perfect for that. And I have a variegated dwarf Joe Pye reed yeah, that I'm sitting do. on right now waiting to have time to work on a landscape installation for another client who's been very patient waiting for me to finish up on some other projects. But one of the things I'm going to incorporate into their landscape is the variegated uh, dwarf Joe Pye reed. Yeah, that one was really nice, especially if you had somewhere that was going to get some afternoon shade or something and you need to brighten up an area. That one had a oh, really nice look to intense, it. Intense, creamy white variegation to the leaves. Yeah. Yeah. but still having that pink flower head to it yeah that large kind of pink, pink flower pinky, head pinky purple pinky yeah. more on the pink end yeah so yeah that'd be another one this one in particular i was just talking to one of my clients about it the other day it is one that i planted last fall and it is already fully up to two and a half three feet tall and wide and the whole plant all the way down to the smaller little branches towards the ground have flower buds on them so in Great one pollinator season, friendly plant yes and butterflies that was, love them and this whole installation around their deck area that was the purpose of that little kind of bubble out of plantings was was more pollinator focused planting and a long bloom season too mm-hmm. yes yeah so you can almost kind of use it to fill a space like you would use a small shrub more or less because you're going to get a nice bloom time yeah, yeah. And so number three, then, is Veronica or Speedwell. Oh, that's right. I forgot you were going to. That was on your list. If any of you are familiar with the perennial salvia, it's sort of loosely structured like that. You have a a, better. Yeah, but better. (laughs) You have kind of the foliage base, and then you get spires, kind of like six, eight-inch tall spires of flowers that come up from the base of the plant. Again, similar to salvia, but much more tight and kind of refined. Almost looks like kind of bottle brush in its tightness of the blooms. Usually whites, pinks, purples. Primarily. Even even into kind of some blue purples. I'd say a very common one that's like that purpley blue is royal candles. Sure, yeah. And then I know PW has some smaller compact varieties. Mm -hmm. I like some of these newer ones that are coming out again because that foliage just stays nice and tight and it's more predictable, especially if you like a more... 
a more manicured, manicured kind of planned, organized landscape design, especially if you want things to be a little spaced out, have some mulch space between plants or rock or whatever. Yeah, it just is a much nicer, neater plant as an option that you could use similarly to the way you would use a perennial salvia. Also a great pollinator plant. Oh my gosh, especially I see bees all over the purple mm-hmm. ones all the time. Mm-hmm. And a long bloom time, since it has that whole spire, the flowers will start to open at the bottom of the spire and open as they go up the spire. So it's, it's and a like, good season. Like a it. butterfly bush, they'll produce other smaller flower spikes mm-hmm. around the base of the main flower spike that usually open later than the main one. So then mm-hmm. the main flower spike kind of dies down, and then these little sub-little baby spikes are kind of it's common for them to start to kind of color up at the time that the the mama spike starts to kind of fizzle out and when those are done with that initial flush of blooms you can shear off those spent flower spikes Mm -hmm. and the foliage still stays looking nice unlike those perennial salvia that can really start to look rough after they bloom and you kind of need to shear them back to the base yeah and they need to essentially push off new foliage and and then you can get some straggler blooms after that with those salvia but these on the other hand that foliage stays looking pretty nice for the most part even after they've bloomed and again you can get some stragglers with those as well Mm -hmm. yeah just a great pollinator plant something a little different than the salvias that you tend to see around a lot more a little more a little more of a refined plant And as an honorable mention, and this is one that we actually will have some photos and videos coming out soon of us at a park in the St. Louis area. We shot some video of these, and that is the hardy hibiscus or rose mallow. And these almost from a distance, you would think they're a shrub because they tend to be usually in the three to five foot range, Mm -hmm. tall and wide, and they get big six eight ten inch wide tropical looking hibiscus flowers big reds pinks or whites yeah or white with a red eye or pink with a red eye foliage can be green or green red kind of green burgundy there's one that's green and white variegated just a very striking plant because of those massive big flowers and They are a little, at least where I'm at in central Illinois, they are a little slow to come out for the season. Usually if it's getting into June and you're getting nervous that that plant hasn't pushed yet, be patient with it. They love the heat. Yeah. Because it looks like a shrub, you'd think it wouldn't die back to the ground completely every year, but it is a true perennial. So it does die all the way back to the ground. So you have these big woody stalks that you might think like, oh, isn't it going to grow back and leaf out from these? Most often not. It tends to push new almost primarily from the root stocks. Yeah, right from the base. So, you know, in winter, early spring, you can snip off a lot of those big stalks, you know, like six, eight inches from the ground or so to make room for next year's stalks. But that's probably the biggest complaint I'd get with that one is, hey, what's did it die? Did it not make it through winter? It's like, no, just give it a little time. As soon as it gets hot, they push and start to grow really, really quickly. It's not uncommon to like not see signs of life on it until Father's Day or later. Sure, yeah. I will say like one con that I think, and it's just relevant for me for where I'm currently at in the St. Louis area mm-hmm. at this garden center that I used to work at. A lot of people had deer down there. Mm -hmm. hardy hibiscus can be deer food sure so just something to keep in mind if you have very high deer traffic that might not be the best plant for your landscape sure but But if you're in town right exactly other than that gorgeous just stunning plant and 
you see the blooms from a significant distance. Yeah. They do like a lot of water. That's also something to keep in mind. Yes. Great for like if you're doing like a water garden, like mm-hmm. you have an area mm-hmm. where like water a rain, pools. Rain garden or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great. Or like an area where you just know that you get a little bit of a washout area because once developed, they can have a pretty sturdy root system too. Yeah. I know at the nursery when, when it was getting in the heat of summer, we would essentially fill up like kiddie pools with a few inches of water and just set them in there and they could just sit in an inch of water and loved it. Yep. Yeah. So those are my top three with an honorable mention in there. Do you want to go ahead and list off yours? Yeah. So I chose because like you said, it's hard in this world to like just pick favorites and stick to those all the time. Right. Especially because there's very specific plants for sometimes very specific places. Mm -hmm. So I decided to stick with a theme for my selection and it's Mm. a blue purple theme. Okay. Yeah. uh, And blue is my favorite color. So it worked out perfectly. There you go. So my first plant is blue lobelia. Mm-hmm. And there is also a red lobelia as a perennial, sometimes referred to as cardinal flower. And blue lobelia, off the top of my head, I can't think of the common name for it. I've almost always just referred to it as blue lobelia. Sure. Maybe because... <laughs> Bluebird flower? Yeah. Blue, j- blue cardinal? <laughs> <laughs> But what I like about this, and it does work great in conjunction with red cardinal flower, because red cardinal flower usually comes up earlier than blue cardinal, but so you relatively to, tall and is taller than blue cardinal. Sure. So blue cardinal flower is a native here in the Missouri state. There's also a really cool cultivar that I like called blue starship is the cultivar of blue lobelia that I've planted and enjoyed. It also likes moisture. It's not going to thrive. It's not going to be at its best in a hot, dry area. Sure. A little bit of reprieve from the hot summer afternoon sun is appreciated. However, it can tolerate it as long as it stays relatively moist or, or has the opportunity to have access to water during hot summer months. Like for me, where I have it in my backyard, I have a lot of container gardens for my vegetables. And so because of the slant of my garden the water runoff from my containers that I'm watering my tomatoes and my eggplants kind of run towards this area where I planted blue lobelia and some sweet flag iris. So they seem to be doing okay there. But what I like about the blue lobelia, nice, rich, bluish purple flower that blooms later in the season. Mm -hmm. Um, So Mm -hmm. late summer into fall is when this one blooms. So So it would complement like asters and mums and things like that. And so great late season nectar source for pollinators as well. Sure. So yeah, that's one of my favorites. And another one that I really enjoy is Brunnera, B-R-U-N-N-E-R-A. And I used to say Brunera, but I think Me too. <laughs> I, I think it's really Brunera or another common name for it is bug loss. Or you had told me, which was a name I wasn't familiar with, false forget me nots. Yeah, the little the little tiny clusters, kind of airy clusters of blue flowers that it gets early spring. Yeah. Very forget me not like. Yeah. With that, I mean, it's really a true blue. It's about as blue as nature can provide. Right. Because quite often when you see something listed as blue, it's really a form of violet or purple. And these get the the really nice, striking, heavily silvered foliage or silver veins or or I guess silver margins between the veins of the leaves. It's very striking even when it's not flowering sterling silver is a variety of used queen of hearts jack frost yeah it's because they have these heart-shaped leaves Mm -hmm. large heart-shaped leaves yeah what six or so inches across some cultivars yeah Yeah. 
great so, to brighten up a shady spot. Right. And they do like shade. They're yeah. not they're not going to be the greatest in much more than four or five hours of sun, especially hot summer sun. Sure. So morning sun or filtered light or can tolerate pretty heavy shade, too. Mm-hmm. They also can be relatively drought tolerant once established, which mm-hmm. is nice. So that's one thing to kind of keep in mind when planting in a shady area. Because a lot of times shady areas can have a little bit higher moisture retention to them just because the soil's not drying up. The plants aren't photosynthesizing as much because it's shadier. Therefore, they're not pulling moisture out of the ground as rapidly. So just something to keep in mind that this plant would probably do a little bit better in a dry shady area of course you're going to have to water it well during its first couple years after planting it but once established relatively drought tolerant but like you said great even when it's not flowering which is early spring mm-hmm. bright blue clusters of flowers that complement above uh, the foliage lungwort really well extremely and hostas yes um so to have like a nice hosta lungwort brunner up maybe a splash of coral bells in there would be a beautiful shade garden. I use basically that same arrangement sometimes under a particular client that has almost that exact mix. And having that silvered foliage and under a blood good Japanese maple. Oh, yeah. That dark red burgundy foliage. Mm-hmm. Really nice. Very nice contrast. And also fun little fact with bug loss or brunera is it's relatively critter resistant too. Because of the texture of the leaf, yeah, it's, it's sort of this fuzzy. sandpapery. Yeah fuzzy texture to the leaf relatively rabbit resistant relatively deer resistant slug resistant which anyone who has a hosta garden knows that slugs can be quite the pain in the ass for them whereas they tend to leave high moisture high humidity right where they leave bruneras alone so a nice Mm -hmm. critter resistant perennial for your garden space as well but the reason like i said we kind of only brushed over it but yeah that bright blue flower pen sticking with the theme yeah. And my next one is really just any purple coral bell. I sure. I do like there's a variety called Forever Purple, mm-hmm. which is just stunning. And I think there's another one called Wildberry. Yeah, um, that's a, a proven winners. That's mm-hmm. probably my favorite. It's and almost it's a darker purple, but with a lighter purple kind of veining pattern. And then the undersides of the leaves are such a striking purple fuchsia. The plant almost doesn't look real. It's so, it is to me the most vivid and striking of the purple heuchera. And I've seen many a time in clients' landscapes, those not even die back over winter. That's what I like. Like some snow will melt and it's still there. Yeah. So this past winter that we had here in St. Louis had some really low negative temperatures uh, that lasted for a while. So a lot of things got nipped that wouldn't normally get nipped here in a Mm -hmm. zone six climate. But the winter before that, oh yeah, in February, the purple coral bells that I have planted in the front yard were still just as purple in February as they were in May. So yeah, really quite a hardy, cool plant. And why I like the purple one. So yeah, Forever Purple, Wildberry, and another one that's really cool is called Midnight Rose. And that's a purple one that has like these little splashes of oh, pink, little pink in there. Yeah. And and coral bells or heuchera is the genus botanical name for it. Coral bells do flower and usually get like little spikes of like uh, white or pink or red flowers that tower above the plant. And they are great and really cute. They're relatively short lived. I mm-hmm. always tell people that the flowers on a 
Coral Bell come free with purchase. Right. That's a there re- are a few varieties that they've kind of bred to have a, a more substantial flower, a little or more can potentially like a brighter pink too. or yeah, yeah. But generally, it's treated as a foliage plant, right? And so I just tell people pick the Coral Bell with the foliage color that you like, and there's lots to choose from. Mm. There's caramel colors and oranges and pinks and reds and purples and greens. So you have lots of options with coral bells, but why I like purple ones in general more so than some of the others is they're more forgiving in sun. Usually coral bells are a shade plant, or they they tend to prefer a shade, morning sun, dappled light, or like late afternoon light. Whereas the purple ones I've seen grow quite nicely in Western hot afternoon exposure and still do quite nice. Yeah. Also a nice compact plant, maybe 20 inches wide, 10 inches tall, double that with the flowers, but a relatively compact plant, great for small spaces. Plus or minus six inches, depending on the variety. Right. But can look really nice along borders of your garden space or clustered together. You could mix and match different colors. I'll often do patterns with the purple and the chartreuse. And I just did that, not chartreuse, because this area that I was planting at was getting more sun, southern exposure, but there's a tree that kind of filters some of that in this portion. But I did an alternating path down the walkway of purple, green, purple, green cone flowers. So, yeah, I really do like the purple varieties. Ah, coral bells. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So definitely one of my favorite varieties. I like talking to people about coral bells anyway because there's so many options and you can find a color to fit most people's garden spaces. Especially in shadier spots that getting good bloom color can be a little tricky sometimes. Long-lasting bloom color. Yeah. Yeah, it's great for adding that brightness and that color variety. Knowing that you might not be able to get flowers to do that for right, you. Right. So there's purple coral bell is my number three. And then my honorable mention is a plant that I've become more familiar with down here in a zone six climate that wasn't really something that you could reliably depend on in a zone five climate zone. And that is clump liriope. Now, there is a creeping liriope, sometimes referred to as like a a nomo grass or something like that. And creeping liriope, you know, is a very, it's the same species. I think it's like lily turf. Lily turf. Thank you. Yep. So, yeah, much more narrow leaf for the creeping variety or lily turf. Not as tall of a foliage, but still gets that purple flower in like late spring or so, early summer. Mm-hmm. And that one is a ground cover. And in the right setting can look really nice. Whereas this... F- <laughs> and in the right setting, it can be so invasive. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I mean, oh, well, any ground cover. Sure. Plan your ground covers accordingly. Yeah. So this variety down here is a clump one. and It's a variegated variety. So there is a deep green clump form of liriope down here. And there is a variegated form. Now, these can... The variegated is so gorgeous. Very striking. Yeah. And it's... it perform, Even though it's really just hardy two zone six, it is probably one of the hardiest perennials that seems to just be a zone six hardy mm-hmm. uh, plant in this area to such a degree that, once again, kind of this last winter down here, not great, but the winter before that, just like the purple coral bells, February, first part of March still there and looks i mean it's not at its peak but it's not like 
dead to the ground like right. a traditional perennial would be. Yeah. So almost yeah, the this ones that pseudo have, evergreen quality to it. The ones that you have are just stunning. And I wasn't terribly familiar with them, obviously, since they're not hardy up where I'm at. But uh, and now I've seen them more around the St. Louis area. But everyone I see, whether they're in full sun, it seems like even full they, sun to they shade. They don't look like they're yellowing and stressed out and they just always look really nice and such a tight little clump. And it's got this sort of grass-like look to it, although mm-hmm. it is not a grass, but a thicker blade, maybe half-inch wide blade and can get about, uh, when it's full grown, you know, 15 inches tall, 18 inches wide, does produce a short-lived purple flower spike. But what's so great about them is they're extremely drought tolerant very drought tolerant and can grow pretty much just about as happily in a shady area as they will in a sunny area, like you said. Mm-hmm. Also very rabbit and deer resistant too. Sure. So very critter resistant plant. So that's my honorable mention. And it, you know, I considered it for the top three, but because it's still somewhat new to me, I didn't feel like it deserved quite to be in the top three. So that's why it's my honorable mention. And also the hardiness with the northern climates. Right. Hey Ethan, do you hear that? What? Oh, it's an ad. Real quick, thanks for listening to our episode today. You can stay in touch with us by supporting us on Patreon. We are at patreon.com slash take it or leave it. And we'll have bonus content on Patreon for all of our subscribers there where you can get extra episodes and snippets from the show that we don't release to all the other platforms. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Take It or Leaf It Pod. And you can also visit our website, takeitorleafitpod.com. If you have any questions or comments or any stories you'd like us to research or talk about, or hell, send us a picture of a plant you want us to identify, you can send that information to show at takeitorleafitpod.com. You can also follow us on our individual Instagrams. I am at Hortwise, H-O-R-T-W-I-S-E. And I am at N Farringdon, N-F-A-R-R-I-N-G-D-O-N. Thanks so much. We'll get back to the episode. Oh, you got me. (laughs) Bottom, bottom three. Bottom three. And disclaimer. No hard feelings if any of our plants that we list are your favorites. We just tend to not gravitate towards them. Largely out of spite and hate and <laughs> disgust. And quite a bit. <laughs> Years of experience seeing these not do well. Yeah, yeah. A lot of this has kind of come from our hands-on experience for quite a long time. Yeah. And also stories vicariously through other people and their misadventures with yeah. these types of plants so i'll try not to be so critical because i'm sure there's going to be people listening they're like oh i love that plant and mine does great but i won't too bad <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right nick the the brutal house plant. you were quick see i came up with a favorite list about as quickly as you came up with uh, a not favorite list i had to stop myself on the not favorite <laughs> list i was like gosh there are so many options i could pick here yeah so, i not, i knocked out the <laughs> these bottom three and the honorable mention immediately and i was like <laughs> well i need to put more thought into the top i guess <laughs> so these are these are our least favorite perennials this week yes <laughs> 
So my number one, and part of this has become a running joke between Ethan and I, but my number one has been for many, many years, the Delphinium. (laughs) It's like a cuss word to you. It really is like a cuss word to me. I honestly, I can say I don't even know a ton about Delphinium in that they always performed so poorly, even... At the greenhouse, that if we got a brand new shipment in, probably a week later, either half of them would be dead or all those nice flower stalks that were there when they came in would have been broken off from um, a gentle breeze, no breeze, a dirty look. Being watered. Being watered, (laughs) not being what? Yeah. that And the very small handful of times I've seen them in a landscape alive people have to individually stake the flower stalks because they are so weak and top heavy (laughs) that they, as soon as those blooms open up, just sometimes on their own with no outside (laughs) factors, just fall over and break off. Now, as a cut flower for florist purposes, gorgeous. To get that blue. Especially some of the blues. And it's really nice blue. Right. And I see why people would buy them. And there are pink cultivars, too, and white cultivars. Yeah. Yeah. You typically tend to see the blue the most, I feel like, for landscape. And I know in cut flowers, you see all different colors. But yeah, as a cut flower in a floral arrangement from a florist, that's one thing and very different and probably grown in a controlled environment, in a greenhouse, yada, yada. But yeah, in the landscape, ah, it was uncommon for me to even see them make it out of the nursery. I will say it is a gorgeous flower, though. It's also extremely short-lived, though. That flower does not last long. And I think that's the biggest disappointment that I hear from people is they'll buy it. Like, they'll sell out at a garden center when they're flowering so quick because the flower is so striking. Mm -hmm. And then two weeks later, I might see... Yeah, two days later. Yeah, a guest come back like, oh, yeah, they're already done flowering. I'm like... Yeah, it's like a two-week long flower. If they can stay upright long enough to complete the blooming process. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. it's a tough plant. It's like it's just one of those things where it is such a gorgeous plant, a flower, when it's really healthy and looks good. But it's, I think it performs better down here than it does up in central Illinois or just Illinois in general. But I totally understand your frustration with that plant and likely is not going to be one that I incorporate heavily in many of my designs. So my number two, and this was a plant that I always really enjoyed seeing in the landscape, selling, sort of reminds me of a larger form version of like a Veronica that we had mentioned almost, is the Liatris. Mm, uh, mm. As far as the the bloom uh, stock kind uh, of gay style. feather is yes. a common name for mm-hmm. that one. Now, a lot of the ones that I've used in landscape have been cultivars of natives, and the foliage of the plant almost looks kind of like a wide grassy blade, yeah, kind of lower to the ground. And then you get these tall uh, foot and a half to two and a half foot, depending on the variety. Sometimes stalks. very tall. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Purples, of, pinks, whites. Yeah. Like Veronica. Uh, purple is probably the one you see the most often, kind of a purple, lilac kind of color. 
And in the last few years, I really enjoyed incorporating them into landscapes, especially if you needed a little extra height or maybe between some tall, skinny grasses like a Carl Forrester. But the last few years, even in a mild winter, their hardiness has been extremely low. Hmm. I have times that I'll plant three or four of them over here and a couple at the property next door and the one or two over here live and then the six over here don't live. It's like, what? We're 30 feet apart here. Like, what's what's going on? Like, it's a it's a cultivar of a native. Like, mm-hmm. what's the what's the deal? And even being fertilized and on irrigation. Like they're given the best environment they could to do well in the landscape and just have been performing really poorly. So this was one that visually was one of my favorites, but hardiness wise, I feel like I can't even recommend them to people anymore. And they do once that's another plant that I think is surprising how different the climates are three hours difference and things that I used to never consider in a landscape or always warn people against perennial wise. It's a different world down here now. And Liatris is one of the ones that is I'm starting to gravitate towards now. I was like really standoffish. Like, mm, I don't want to talk Liatris to people or talk about Liatris to people. But down here, people seem to have much more success with mm-hmm. it as far mm-hmm. as hardiness. But that doesn't change the fact that. And aren't they zone four? Maybe yes. not. Yeah. Yeah. Zone four. So that it's sounds like, right. Even in zone five, it should so survive. unreliable. Yeah. I mean, we just saw them in a landscape bed True. down here a few days ago. Yeah. And the they foundry in St. Louis. Okay. Yeah. When the and flower starts to fade and they kind of splay out a little bit, I tend to like to use the more compact, like a cobalt or something like sure. that. And maybe, maybe there's some kind of an issue with the cobalt selection, but they, I do like to, if I'm going to recommend them to someone, to have them tucked behind. Because mm-hmm. when they stop flowering or the flower starts to fade, they can look real sporadic, a um, little rough. But to have something that's tighter in front of them, mm-hmm. it's, I think it, it Helped works Helped a little okay. bit by having one of the compact varieties. Sure. But yeah. They are a great plant for pollinators. So certainly that's right. why I think a lot of people do tend to gravitate towards them because they're commonly listed and well known for people who, who focus on pollinator friendly gardens mm-hmm. to be a part of that. Yeah. But as a standalone perennial, I would warn people, like, don't put that towards like the corner of like a garden bed right, where you want something right. nice and showy because mm-hmm. I don't think the Liatris is going to meet your expectations. Sure. Definitely mixed, mixed in. Yeah. Yeah. And number three, another one that visually I love but has been increasingly more unreliable up by where I'm at is the butterfly weed or Asclepius tuberosa, sort of Mm. in that milkweed Mm -hmm. family of plants, although this one tends to have that kind of a a narrower pointed leaf coming up from individual stems at the ground and then gets a cluster of just a very vivid, bright orange cluster of flowers It's a great nectar source for pollinators. It can be a nectar source and also a host plant for the monarch butterfly. So in theory, it's a great staple item to have in the landscape. But what I have found in the last few years, again, even being fertilized on drip irrigation, on an emitter that does a lower rate of water, because they do tend to like that drier, rockier kind of soil 
oil compared to other types of Asclepias, right? Especially uh, like a swamp milkweed that's on common, the opposite yeah. end that can grow in water. So even you know giving them full sun on a reduced amount of irrigation, fertilized, mulched. Pretty good, solid growing environment, just not being reliable through winter. I had some that I had to dig out this spring that you kind of dig them out and they have those little, almost like baby carrot sized little tubers oh, under the sure, ground. Sure. And those all seem fine, but yeah, no foliage going to start. And on top of that, they are very late to emerge because they like that hotter, drier climate. You're not going to see them until what, June? Like, pretty good amount into June, mm -hmm. at least up by me in central Illinois. So that's kind of another one that people get nervous that it didn't come back. It's like, no, give it a little extra time. And if it, and then if still it be didn't disappointed. make right, <laughs> if it didn't make it through winter, then now you've you know lost an extra month that you could have thrown something else in there and gotten it established. So I do still sometimes see them usually planted in a bed near a mailbox by the end of the driveway in a road that has rock mulch instead of regular mulch and they're full of weeds and neglected. And it's like, oh, well, there's a gorgeous one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, complete neglect seems to be a, yeah. a success or to increase your success rate. So if your existing landscape is mainly comprised of other perennials that have more average to moderate water needs, this probably wouldn't be a spot for that. If you're going to do a bed that is intended to be more drought tolerant or xeriscape or something like that, Probably that would be like a yucca and a yarrow and a yeah, coreopsis. Some and galardia or something like that. Yeah. Sedum. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So if, if that's the kind of bed that you're putting it in or going with, it would certainly work well for that, but otherwise I think it'd be a little easy to give them too much water and have them not do so hot. So then my honorable mention for that, I'm going to go with the bearded iris. And again, when they do bloom, gorgeous, stunning, purple and white by color, bright, bright, sunny, yellow, and reds. Just peaches, the full spectrum of yellow colors. and burgundy on the same flower on a big showy stock, showy flowing flower. You can use them as a cut flower when they come out. It's great as a single stem and a vase. Just awesome looking flower, but they have a very short window. What would you say? A couple Two weeks. weeks. Yeah, early in the season, and then after that, you just have a flat wide almost kind of sword shaped leaf that just sits there as a foliage and when it's not flowering that that thick foliage for a while can be pretty attractive sometimes like a silvery if you have some blue. other stuff around it right, you get that, yeah. that contrast of like a silvery blue lanceolate leaf kind of mm -hmm. peeking through here and there but then as soon as it starts to get hot the tips brown and and it can be a bully, too, because it can keep colonizing. Right. They'll and start I, to spread out more. And pretty soon you have a bed of iris that looks good four, for two five weeks feet in wide early season. It's just like grown and grown and grown. Yeah. Nothing really can grow reliably between them. because no, the tubers will like yeah, pile on top of right. each other. Like they'll start they have this surface above the tuber. ground. Yeah. Yeah, so that, and I was, I know between the two of us, we were kind of on the fence with whether we wanted to go with the bearded iris or the daylily, mm -hmm. which some people might be upset that we don't like the daylilies, but 
They uh, can serve a purpose. Absolutely yes. can serve a purpose. If you need something that you want to plant and then maybe never really maintain or look at or care about again. And absolutely, there's a lot of people that's their type of gardening. Right. Where they want something that has to be killed with gasoline. Right. You know, that essentially they can plant and never, ever have to worry about it. I've seen bare root daylilies like dug up and chucked on the top of a compost pile. And the next year it grows in flowers. Mm -hmm. Like just tough as nails plant. But I, especially with something like the yellow rebloomer, the Stella de Oro is probably the most common one. It's a little bit more small and compact. And there's a red and a purple Stella yeah, as well. Yeah, purple Not de Oro. nearly as common. Usually mm-hmm. yellow is, is the go-to. And so since they are a rebloomer, which that's kind of another drawback with the other types of daylilies, yes, you get a gorgeous flower, again, only for a couple weeks, and then you just have a leafy foliage plant the rest of your season. But and some and if I think I would like it more if the foliage stayed more upright and compact mm-hmm. after it was done. Stella flowering. Stella tends to more okay. so than the bigger varieties. Like because it's a narrower, it's got that narrower pointed leaf. Yeah. yeah. But then when it's not flowering and then. The they foliage starts to like fall flat and, and it just looks it's another so one, trashy. It's another one you really just need to cut off at the ground and let it re-push again before fall. Mm, They're not going to bloom okay. again, but you can, we would out in Colorado, we would just cut them off like two inches above the ground and let them totally regrow sure. all the foliage again. But yeah, very tough plant, not very many rebloomers. You're only going to have a couple weeks of blooms in spring, early summer. And in my opinion, especially by landscapers, kind of just overused. And I'm sure that's because of how much neglect they can tolerate. Like they'll thrive in the median of a Walmart. Right. It's just like I've seen so many Stellas in a Walmart parking lot or a gas station parking lot or the drive through at a McDonald's. It's just like everywhere. It's like there's so many other options. Mm-hmm let's mix it up right so probably partly for overuse at least for me that'd be my honorable 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 mention mention the honorable dishonorable mention right yeah yeah and on to your bottom ones okay so for me my first one i think the first one that was pretty easy for me to just like think of as a perennial that i really don't recommend ever and that's specifically what's referred to as a hybrid coneflower. And you'll see it on the tag. It'll be Echinacea hybrida on there, which is not Echinacea purpurea. So the hybrid Echinacea or hybrid coneflower is distinctly different as far as the flower shape goes, where it doesn't have that traditional coneflower, large orange brown center. Not always, but yes, go on. Okay, so not always that I think I traditionally think of as a, as a coneflower that's like sometimes kind of rough or spiky and mm-hmm. where the finches will go and like pluck the seeds out of. It has more of this ruffled flower. It's like a double bloom, except yeah. the, the center blooms on that little cone of the spiky seeds are, are a shorter petal. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like this, 
and it looks cool. It's a very different looking flower, and I can see why people gravitate to it and why they like it. And there's lots of color options. Mm-hmm. Hot yellows papaya and, is a fun one that I yeah. So I some like of the cultivars. So I wrote down a few just so people could have those to kind of think of when they're shopping cone flowers. And so I have Supreme Cantaloupe, which is like a pastel orange. Hot papaya, which you had listed, which is like mm-hmm. a ready orange. Another red orange one. Double scoop, and there's a double scoop series. And raspberry beret is a pink one, similar to the color of that powwow berry, wild berry that you were talking about. But my issue with the hybrid coneflowers is they just are not reliably hardy. And they're they're just expensive. not. Right. You can spend $20, $25 on a one-gallon coneflower, and it's an annual. And this isn't just coming from my own personal experience. This is coming from, I would say, at Hair Nursery, where we worked at before. It was one of the highest warranty replaced perennials that we had yep. to such a degree where it's just like why are we even selling these mm-hmm. because that particular garden center which is not common in the world of independent garden centers mm-hmm. but they offered a full year warranty on their perennials 100 percent full year warranty on their perennials which is just bonkers in my opinion but that plant was easily one of the highest i would say top 10 warranty replaced perennials was any coneflower that was a hybrid and even down here in st louis talking to other garden center employees at different garden centers too mm-hmm. not too many garden center employees seem to like that plant either and like to recommend it to people there's plenty of other hardier coneflowers or cooler summer blooming perennials to choose from like that wild berry we mentioned that is a cultivar of the native right And so speaking of ones that aren't the double bloom, the Sombrero series is one that I've had some bad experience with. Oh, yeah. There's Sombrero red and orange. and Well, I had used because... There's a a Sombrero that's like almost like a true blood red. Yeah. You'd want Mm -hmm. to really Mm -hmm. like that plant, but it's just not reliable. I've liked the yellow Mm. because it's such a nice... I mean plant covered in bright sunny yellow coneflower blooms and i had started using some in landscape because they specifically came out with a sombrero yellow improved and usually when you see that improved they've made some tweaks and adjustments to the hybridization to either get a more compact plant or something that grows more reliably and more uniformly or in the case of hardiness can also help with improved winter hardiness And unfortunately, even with that improved variety, I've had to do multiple replacements for people before, despite being an improved hybrid. Right. Yeah. One of the improved hybrids that I'm curious that I want to play with, this one here, I just pulled up a picture here to show Nick. It's called Parrot. It's a petal. The ends of the petal is yellow, but the eye, the middle of the petal is kind of what? An orangey pink? Orangey, yeah. Orangey coral color. And sort of looks like a Gallardia. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or um, bl- blanket flower. So with this, I love the idea of it, but I was nervous because it's still a hybrid, but looks like it could be bred from the Echinacea purpurea. Mm-hmm. But you just know it's not because Echinacea purpurea is a pinky purple and this is a yellow orange. It's very right. different. So talking to the perennial buyer at Greenscape Gardens here in the St. Louis area, I asked her, I said, do you find this to be reliable? Do you hear a lot of complaints? Now, they don't offer a warranty on their perennials, which I think is a good move. Mm -hmm. But I just asked her, like, well, do you 
vicariously have you heard complaints about this and she thinks that it is a very reliable one and mm-hmm. she being the buyer and has been the buyer there for years mm-hmm. really likes this one so this will be a cultivar and it's hardy at the zone four mm-hmm. the parrot echinacea will definitely be one that i want to experiment with down the road because yeah. that's freaking gorgeous and if it really ends up being as hardy and reliable as she says it is who knows maybe it'll find its way uh like a a redemption of Mm -hmm. uh, the hybrid cone flower yeah although to me looking at that it looks so much like a blanket flower that i would probably just plant a blanket flower that i knew is more reliable true true exactly okay so moving on sunstruck heliopsis Mm-hmm. And Heliopsis, I think, was it false sunflower? Yes, is a common is a common name for that one. Now there are some great Heliopsis. I think for me, I would prefer to just plant a Rudbeckia or a Black Eyed Susan mm-hmm. um, more often than not versus going Heliopsis. I, I don't know; it's just my own personal preference. Um, the flower looks similar to a Black Eyed Susan, except the center is also yellow instead right. of the black. Exactly. And there's certainly places for Heliopsis, but this particular variety, Sunstruck, is a green leaf with like a white variegated striation through it, like almost. almost the veins following are the more veins. white. Yeah. yeah. And in theory... Looks really cool. Looks super cool uh, with this green and white leaf and the yellow flower. However, in my experience, in two different states now over, I would say, I think I became more familiar with it probably like in 2016, 2017. So in seven years of seeing this plant in garden centers, it just doesn't seem to perform. Yeah. Also a very high rated warranty replacement at Hair mm-hmm. Nursery. To such a degree that I think we stopped carrying it there. Yeah, I have a cluster of three that I planted for my parents. And one didn't make it through the first winter. The two have lived for a number of years. But the the biggest one gets maybe 12 by 12 at the most. Does bloom. And the other remaining one gets maybe six, eight inches tall, 10 inches wide. And just a handful of straggler bloom. Just very inconsistent just always looks sick yeah and and not just because of the variegation it just always seems to really be struggling it always looks like it has a nutrient deficiency yeah just like this anemic perennial in your yard and must be a sign but i in the last several years of trying to find some replacements for them to match since it's right in the front of a area of their landscape i have not been able to find any replacements it sounds like it's a good thing yeah and a lot of people that i've spoken to is like oh yeah i'm not looking for that plant again i'd I'm going to plant something different. Mm-hmm. And it's not because it doesn't come back all the time. Like it's, it can be reliably hardy, I think, as far as zone hardiness. But I think more often than not, people are just not impressed by the way it grows and the way yeah. it looks. And just like it just looks sick and struggling all the time yeah. and never gets as full as the way, you know, video or pictures online will showcase it to be. Yeah. So it's just a disappointment. It's just lackluster. My next one is Bleeding Heart. And I know this might be a shocker to a lot of people. It's a very hardy plant. So Dicentra is the botanical name for it. Although I just saw when I was looking it up that that botanical name has changed to something that starts with an L. Yeah, they shuffle them around every once in a while, certain things. To me, it's still Dicentra until otherwise or until I remember the new botanical name. Right. So the reason, even though it's hardy and even though it's such a cool, unique, very unique flower, it's a spring blooming flower. It's usually pink. To me, it kind of does look just like a pink or white. Yeah, pink or white, sometimes red. It looks like an upside down heart. 
yep. hanging and uh, pretty reliable, pretty forgiving, can handle dry, can handle some moist conditions. My issue with it is it's heat hardiness. It's heat tolerance. It goes dormant in our climate zone during the heat of the summer and it'll be gorgeous, full flush in spring. And then by mid August, it's brown and yellow and dying back and hideous looking. And especially for some of the older or the bigger varieties. Right. And while that can be okay for some of the traditional varieties or old fashioned varieties, which is what I have in my garden right now, it's a bully. This plant that I have in this shade eastern garden with all kinds of other shade plants, there's hydrangeas and there's ferns and whatever. There's all kinds of stuff over there. Liriope. This plant gets four feet wide and quickly and probably sits about two, sometimes probably closer to three feet tall in the center of this plant. Which is massive for it's one of those. huge. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is it, it bullies out all these other plants around it. And so for this four foot area, which is huge in this garden bed, nothing else can really grow because this bleeding heart is there. But then come summer, it's going to die back and leave this gigantic empty area in the garden, which I can't stand reminds me a lot of a peony if you plant a peony other than if it's out and has plenty of air circulation and lots of sun if they're shady or not getting the right light requirement and airflow they get powdery mildew and look sketchy and start to look really rough at the end of summer you Mm -hmm. cut them back and there's nothing else there right you just have this big barren spot and so that's my frustration with bleeding heart is now there they they do have some more compact cultivars there's some fun kind of fern leaf or feather leaf cultivars out there as well that might not get as large certainly worth experimenting with i'm not criticizing it because i think it's a you know a terrible plant it's just in my situation with these older varieties they're just bullies they're bullies in a shade garden and hard to pair up next to other things since they don't perform well in later season anticipating that later season dieback where you just had this giant dead open space in your garden so that's my frustration with bleeding hearts but that leads me to my honorable mention which i changed up during the recording of this podcast (laughs) where i was originally going to we, we made daylily our joint honorable honorable dishonorable mention where originally daylily was going to be the one that i kind of trash talked a little bit now i decided ice plant mm-hmm. or delisperma is the botanical and this would be used supposedly in the same environment that like a creeping sedum would be and the selling point like for it, crop yeah yeah mm-hmm. The selling point for it would be the fact that it gets this beautiful flower, mm-hmm. sometimes bright pinks or oranges or yellows, sometimes all of those colors all together on one flower. It's just not reliably hardy. Now, you definitely, in order to get the most out of it, hot, dry, rocky area growing between stepping stones or growing in like a rocky retaining wall or something like that would be the ideal use for it. I remember seeing some at clients' properties when we were doing landscape maintenance out in Colorado, you know, growing in between some natural stone pavers next to a sidewalk kind of thing. But even still, sometimes they would get kind of like dry dead patches in there. Right. A sedum is certainly a better option. Way better option. And there's lots of colors to choose from there, too, for creeping sedums. But yeah, the Delisperma just, you know, and also it gets overwatered once. You just, the leaves just turn into these disgusting, mushy things. 
and I just don't find it to be reliably hardy at all overwintering. And I'm sure that there's some people who have had success with it. One of those plants that I also saw less and less being carried in Peoria or Central mm-hmm. Illinois mm-hmm. Uh, garden centers, just like, okay, we got to stop carrying yeah. this. This isn't working. Um, Too far north. Right. And even down here in the zone six area, not as reliably hardy as I would prefer it to be. Sure, it does great in a zone seven. Sure. Uh, I can see that being the case. Like Oklahoma would probably be a perfect spot for it to thrive in. Mm-hmm. Us just not reliable. Don't be suckered by those beautiful, gorgeous flowers that you, of it blooming that you might see at a garden center. Get a stone crop or a sedum or some other form of creeping ground cover yeah. uh, for a hot area. There's plenty of other options to choose from. Yeah. So that's my honorable mention for Leaf's favorite perennial and that's it yeah that's all that's the top six bottom six and a couple honorable mentions longer episode but we bombarded you with information on 13 yeah plants so hopefully you guys you know make your own good selection to pick from if you're looking to fill in a spot in the landscape and some things to avoid you know it would this would be a fun one i'd love to actually for this one well and the the other one that we did with houseplants but I would love to hear other people's one-star reviewed perennials that they have grown. This would be a great one to get in email form or on comments (laughs) on our social media pages. One-star reviews of sketchy garden centers. That'd be kind of fun. (laughs) Ooh, there's a better way of like rating perennials, like and just to like look at like one-star reviews of perennials and to rattle those off. Yeah. But I would love to read any of our listeners favorites and or least favorite perennials that they have experienced especially anyone who lives in different climate zones yeah because in many ways we as horticulturists and former garden center employees we not just rely on our own expertise but vicarious information through other people right and we're essentially always taking polls on plants when we're interacting with those customers right you know if i hear from half a dozen people that this perennial is garbage and just doesn't work, then I'm probably going to not recommend that. Right. Even if I haven't played with it myself, people are like, no, it's terrible. The blah, 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 this, blah, 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 that. So anyway, this would for sure be one of those topics where I'd love to have some listener feedback on. Yeah. And if you have some of those plants that either have been your top picks or or some that you've had issues with and wouldn't recommend, either way or both, send us an email at show at takeitorleafitpod.com. You could also message us on either Instagram or Facebook at takeitorleafitpod. We have been uploading our audio to YouTube. We're also going to have some video clips coming up. Comment on the YouTube clips as well. Yep. Yep, definitely. Again, please take a look at our Patreon page if you'd like to support the show that way. We're on Patreon at Take It or Leaf It, and that helps us keep the show rolling and gives us the opportunity to buy perennials that we like. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah, I think that pretty much wraps it up. And thank you for listening. Yeah, this has been the Take It or Leaf It podcast. I'm Nick Farrington. And I'm Ethan Weiss. See you guys next week. Toodles. Bye.